I have had a 15-minute conversation with a scammer using only Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice. Excuse me, I have a few more questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Who are you? So we are Support Buddy, a US-based diagnostic company. We provide support to all Microsoft products. Come on, don't bullshit me. Sir? Listen to me very carefully. I want to know what's going on, and I want to know right now. The computer was infected. I believe you went to some third-party websites. That's the reason the computer was infected. Yeah. Are you going to help me now or not? Welcome to Innovational Correctness, a podcast all about innovation and transformation, hosted by David Luna, author, keynote speaker, and founder of Gamma Digital and Beyond. David and his guests discuss real-world practical advice on how to best harness the creativity of your employees and go from idea to product, giving you unique perspectives and insights into their success, all while separating hype from reality and replacing bullshit bingo with common sense. Let's jump right in to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovational Correctness Podcast. My guest today is Jim Browning. That's not his real name, but an alias he goes by to protect and safeguard his identity for the reasons I'll explain now. Jim Browning is an IT professional who, in his spare time, does scam baiting, which is a form of internet vigil antiism, primarily used to thwart fraud, technical support scam, pension scams, and other forms of fraud. And Jim investigates and fights scammers and publishes his findings on his very popular YouTube channel. Currently, he has over 1 million YouTube subscribers and almost 70 million views as of this month. He's also been featured in a highly acclaimed BBC documentary called Panorama, where he managed to infiltrate a large-scale technical support scamming operation, leading to worldwide press coverage, along with several arrests of the scammers involved. Without further ado, let's go meet Jim. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Uh, glad to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. Say It's a pleasure to talk to you. So do you want to give the listeners, before we start, a quick introduction of who you are? Okay, yes. So my name is Jim Browning, and I'm what most people describe as a YouTuber. So I stick a lot of videos onto YouTube, and those videos are about scams. And in this particular, what I do is I go after scammers, and they tend to be the people who make robocalls or the ones who either phone you or try to say that they're people like Microsoft. So they typically are tech support scams. So that's the people that I go after and I upload videos of my exploits with them. Very interesting. So the first question I would have is, are you bored or why do you do this? I mean, what drives you? Is it your passion? And how did you even get started in this field and what made you go down this path and was there like a catalyzing event that got this all started? Yeah, I've been asked this quite a lot and I've got to say the honest answer is by accident. I have an IT job so really this isn't kind of my day job as such but when I sit at home and sometimes I would work from home I get bombarded by scam phone calls. I think a lot of people do as well. And the reason why I got into it is really, I think to myself, surely someone can do something about these scam calls. And I thought to myself, maybe I can. And with a little bit of IT background, I thought it might be possible just to find out exactly who makes the calls and perhaps even find out a bit more about the scammers themselves. So I couldn't really understand 
why they weren't being blocked. I couldn't understand why someone wasn't doing something about them. And as I delved a little bit further, it became a bit more obvious why people couldn't stop these scams. So I thought, maybe I can do something about it. I think it's safe to assume that most people think that fighting scammers is fruitless, unproductive, and essentially a never-ending cat-and-mouse game. Would you generally agree with that sentiment? Um, yes and no. Uh, certainly there's a lot of these scam calls. Um, it depends very much on whether your phone number has got into the phone book of scam call centers. Some people get them more than others. But in my experience, I was getting them some weeks every day. And yes, it does seem like a pointless exercise, but from my own experience very recently, some of my activity, shall we say, with scammers has actually led to changes. And in fact, some people at the very top have been arrested as a result of some of the work and some of the videos that I've put on to YouTube. So it's definitely not a fruitless exercise. It may be chipping away at the top of a very large iceberg, but for me, it's worth doing because it's not just trying to stop the scammers. The reason for the YouTube channel is really to make people aware of how these scams work. And I think if you know how they work, you can also defend against them. You can recognize the scam and hopefully it will stop someone being scammed. So for to my mind, it's more than just trying to stop individual scammers. It's really just to spread the word about scams. And can you briefly describe how a scam or how some of these scams work? Sure. Okay. I mean, there's a few different variants of these, but the most common one and probably the one that people will be most familiar with is if you get a call out of the blue and it will be from people who will claim to be Microsoft or your computer vendor or your broadband vendor. And it will be something along the lines of, we've had reports that your computer is sending viruses or your computer has a problem. And it's a lead on to the scammer wanting to take remote access of your computer. And they'll persuade you that there really is some sort of problem and convince you to part with some money to fix that problem. But the issue is there was never a problem. They're just ringing people at random. And if you do fall for it, it's really as a result of that scammer sounding convincing. And they may get lucky because perhaps you may even have some sort of problem and you associate that problem with this phone call. But the problem is Microsoft never really call you. And in fact, what happens is they will take advantage of people who may be just ignorant or unaware of what computer messages actually mean. And they may just get lucky. So that's the main one. There's another few types of scams as well, but I, I can go into those. But the main one is these robocalls calls these calls out of the blue. Now, I've often heard people say, well, I have a Mac. It doesn't get viruses and malware and I can't be scammed or something along the lines of that. Is that one of the more common misconceptions you encounter? That's definitely a myth. A Mac user can fall for these scams just as easily as a Windows user. There's nothing stopping the scammer running an almost identical scam, whether you have Windows or a Mac. Now, it used to be that when Macs were possibly less common, that the scammers would just ask you what sort of computer you had, and if you said Mac, then they would just hang up. But that's not the case anymore. And in fact, not only does it affect Windows and Mac computers, these scammers won't hesitate even if you've got an Apple iPad or any kind of Android device. They can still gain remote access to 
to that. And in fact, it makes their life slightly easier if you've got one of these handheld devices, because in some cases it's actually easier to get access to those. So I don't think anyone's immune to this. And again, if you don't know what the scammers are saying to you, you could well blindly just give them access without realizing what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think any Mac user should feel safe or at least any Mac user is just as susceptible to scams as any Windows user is. So I assume that most of my listeners at least are very tech savvy and some of them might be saying, well, I wouldn't fall for these obvious scams. So the question is, why do people even fall for these types of scams? Is it just people that are unaware? Is it just elderly people? I mean, scams have been around for decades, and it seems it's big business and it's very lucrative. Oh, for definite. I mean, big business-wise, I recently intercepted um, some files from a scam call center, and this particular one was one of the larger ones, admittedly, but they had a sales target of $1.8 million per month. Holy shit. So maybe upwards of seventy dollars or $80,000 profit per day from these scam call centers so it is a huge business and if you look at my youtube channel you'll see the arrest of one scam call center owner and he was living in the lap of luxury literally he was living in possibly the most expensive area and region of of delhi he would live he lived in an apartment building which had access to an 18 hole golf course an olympic sized swimming pool and his rent was something ridiculous upwards of 7 or 8000 dollars per month um, just on rent for this place and you know he drove a porsche and he was making a huge amount of money and definitely the people at the top will be making that huge amount of money. They have great incentives to do that. They will live in the lap of luxury. But your question about why or how or who falls for these scams, the answer is usually typically older people, uh, people who are less tech savvy, uh, perhaps more trusting. And I've seen from my, well, let's just say my exploits with scammers, that the people on the running the scams, the people on the end of the phones, will not care whether the person they're scamming is vulnerable in any way. I've seen them actually deliberately target people with dementia. Uh, I've also seen them, t- even though a victim has said, I've got diabetes, I'm legally blind, they still will continue the scam even though they know that person is particularly vulnerable. Uh, But that said, although that accounts probably for the majority of people who get scammed, it can still happen to anyone. I've, I've spoken to people in their late teens, early 20s, 30s, all age groups. So anyone can fall for it. And yes, the scam has been around for over 10 years, I would say, some variants of these scams. But, you know, it, it, the message still doesn't really get across. Um, people, particularly if they see the pop-up type of scam, they might even believe the message that they're seeing is genuine. And really, if you have no experience of that, it is it, it is possible to fall for these scams if you're just caught unaware. And that's what the scammers rely on. Yeah, it's pretty despicable in my eyes to prey on the weak and the innocent. And some of these scams that I've seen on your channel and YouTube as well are pretty creative and clever, actually. And I always thought to myself, I wouldn't have thought of that. And that's, you know, pretty clever. And why don't they apply their brains to something more productive and legal? But you've kind of answered the question. It's just so lucrative. Yeah, even even the call center workers, though, they will make 
money much more quickly than they would in a legitimate job. So it's not really even just so much the people at the top. The people who man the phones, they will get maybe three or four times the money that they would on, say, a legitimate call centre job. And not only that, they get incentives. They, they describe them as incentives. If they can glean more money out of their victims, they will get a direct, uh, normally it's a percentage of the amount in dollars that they scam, they will get back, usually 3 or 4%. So it's worth their while trying to extract as much money out of each victim as they can possibly get. And you can imagine if these skull, these phone calls, they will happen, they will load their dialing software with thousands and thousands of numbers. And anyone who answers the phone, they will try to convince them. They will use the same lines every single time. And inevitably, they will get people who fall for it. So it's just a numbers game for them. They will keep dialing until they get someone who's prepared to believe them. Is it correct to assume that this is mainly a problem of developing countries where you don't have as many good paying jobs? Yes. I mean, it's I've analyzed because I've been able to get access to scammers' computers. I can tell exactly where they are and I've plotted these on a little map. And in my experience, at least, and don't forget, I go after the technical scammers, so the ones who want access to your computer. Now, there's lots of other types of scams, including romance scams and, you know, 419, that's the advanced fee, you know, so the, the emails that purport to be some sort of African prince who wants to share his fortune with a random stranger. Those sorts of ones I tend not to look at. I more look at the ones where they're robocalls or pop-ups on your computer. And of those type of scams, 95% of them will come from India. The other few percent, in my experience, fall in places like Ukraine or Tunisia. and But the vast majority will be from India. And there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, one, as you say, is in general low pay. It tends to be high unemployment. But actually one of the biggest reasons is technical know-how. It takes a little bit of that technical know-how to set up those scams call centers. And of course, because of a lot of external legitimate uh, companies set up their call centers in India, that expertise is there. And not only that, the data is there as well. So those companies will have real customer lists. And although they try to protect them as much as they can, I know that that data leaks out to scam call centers. Your data will be bought and sold in a black market in India. And unfortunately, if you manage to get onto a scammer's list, that list will be resold, rebought amongst potentially hundreds of other scam call centers. So as soon as you start getting one phone call, chances are you're going to get hundreds of those. So how do we fight back uh, without you revealing any trade secrets? Because maybe there's some scammers listening to my podcast, which I hope is not the case. But just to be safe, maybe you can tell us how you fight back against these scammers. And I would assume that just having a tech background is not enough. So how do you actually approach this? Well, yes, the IT background definitely helps. So what I do is I do the thing that we advise most people never to do, which is to give the scammer access to my computer. And I do this deliberately because I know what I'm doing. 
And what I do is I set up not a real computer, but a virtual PC. So a virtual PC is just a bit of software running on a real PC, which looks like it's a real computer. It just emulates a real computer. But the advantage with that is I can protect the data that's stored on my real computer. I can make this fake computer look real, but it's quite safe. But the big advantage is that I can monitor what happens on that computer. And in particular, I can trace what goes in and out of it. And using that, I can find out where these connections are coming from. So I can see immediately who is trying to get access to my computer, which you can't usually do with a real computer. So that's the first step. I allow the scammers access to my computer. And then with my IT background, I have enough technical know-how that because this person has gained access to my computer, I can use that same connection to go back to theirs. When they set this up, there is a two-way connection. And what I do is I effectively reverse that connection without the scammer knowing. So effectively, when he connects to my computer, I, with a bit of know-how, can get back to him and I can see exactly what he's doing on his computer and indeed get access not only to his files, but even things like his webcam. If he has a webcam, in theory, I can even see him. And I've put a lot of that footage onto YouTube. And that's why I think I'm quite a popular YouTube channel, because it's not always possible, almost impossible, in fact, to normally see who it is that's running the scams. So that's why I think the YouTube channel is popular. It's you can see what's going on from the scammer's point of view. Yeah, and you also provide some very good background information on your YouTube channel, which I always find very interesting. And you're so successful, actually, that you were recently featured in a British documentary series called The Panorama, in which a large-scale technical support scamming operation was infiltrated by you and a fellow YouTuber called uh, Call Rock, I believe, and was uh, extensively documented. Uh, I mean, that's some real FBI shit right there. I mean, how did you manage to pull that off? Did the FBI help you? Or how did this all take place? And how did you go about this and, and pull this whole thing off inquiring minds want to know no i mean literally this is something that i do at home that i don't have assistance from anyone in fact the only reason i even got carl rock involved is uh he's another youtuber he is based in delhi he lives there and what i wanted him to help me with is the one thing that i can't get which is video footage of the outside of the call center so you're you're right the, the reason why i got panorama involved is when i did this reverse connection trick so a scammer had accessed my computer i reversed that connection i could see what was going on in his computer and as soon as i did that i noticed that they were looking at their own cctv so they had tele like little ip cameras set up all around their offices goodness and only knows why because they're a scamming organization but i thought well, this is the first time I've ever been able to see what goes on in the entire office. And I knew that it would probably be something that the mainstream media would be interested in. And that's the reason why I got in touch with Panorama. Panorama are a BBC documentary crew. Um, I've known one of their programmes really since I was a, a child. And I knew that they would probably have an interest in this. 
And the biggest reason why I got them involved was every time I report one of these things to the police in India, little or nothing gets done about it. So I thought, well, if I'm able to show that these people are scamming, you know, people in Australia and uh, usually UK and, and the USA, it tends to be English speaking countries, but that's changing. I mean, even they're starting now into scamming people in Germany as well. And I'm sure you may have experience of this already. But the reason why I've got them involved was just that I wanted something to be done about it. And if you have exposure where you're able to show what these scammers are doing, literally watch over their shoulders as they're scamming people and I could hear the audio of course as well I could hear people being scammed too and I released that to the mainstream media in this panorama program and they were able to do the thing that I've never been able to do which is push it around a lot of media organizations throughout the world let everyone see what's going on and it seemed to be very effective okay it's it's good television you very rarely get that sort of footage But the big thing that happened was, even though I had reported the operation to the police weeks before the BBC documentary went out, nothing happened. But as soon as the documentary programme went live and they released the footage to lots of media organisations, 12 hours later, there was arrests in India. And why do you think that is? Well, I honestly, I don't know if reports from people outside India have as much weight as internal ones. My experience is that even the cyber crime reporting portals don't work properly if you report, if you give, for example, a non-Indian phone number, you know, and that's what I think might be quite typical if it if it isn't happen. My view is if it isn't happening to someone based in India, it has less priority than the, maybe the local crimes. So that's my own experience. I could be wrong, but as I say, I've hit brick walls every time I've tried to report these scams to the right authorities in India. But this was the exception. And how did the BBC react, or what was their reaction when you provided them with the video evidence? Were they like, yeah, nice, or wow, this is exciting? Uh, well, yes, they, they really were quite excited because at the time that I approached one of the journalists, I had live access to their CCTV. I was able to show them live what was going on. And, you know, I didn't I didn't have that access the entire time. I only maybe had it for a few weeks, but it was certainly enough to generate interest. Now, this was maybe a year before the television documentary went out. It took that long to actually get the BBC with everything they need to do to get the programme commissioned. Um, so I had to sit on the footage really for quite some time before it went, before it aired. But it was definitely worth the wait. I, I was, although it was quite exciting footage and, you know, it's very revealing about how those scams work. Um, I really had to wait until the media were ready for this as well. And you had worldwide uh, press coverage. I think the more admirable thing here is that you had the patience to sit on that video evidence for so long. Or the more shocking thing is that the BBC took over a year. But again, that's often the case with very large organizations. Yeah, there's a few things which kind of got in the way. There were things happening in India, like riots and so on. And they had to use, for example, one of their... Asian correspondence to do this. There are certain restrictions on reporting and it has to come from there. But so there was a number of things which kind of got in the way. But eventually, I mean, I, I think I got the footage around about May 2019. Um, but by the time it came to the, the BBC reporters confronting the Skull Centre owner, that was probably around December time. I say the programme actually went out 
at the start of March 2020. It was definitely worth it. I mean, just for the fact alone that it was circulated around the globe by the mainstream media. Yeah, and I've even seen uh, many foreign articles covering this story, even one a German article. Yeah, and I'll link the documentary in the show notes as well. Yeah, indeed, it's. Uh, if, I mean, I've searched for it myself. It went as far as New Zealand, as far as I can see, uh, and yes, quite a number of other media organisations, particularly actually Indian media organisations, who were particularly interested in this as well. So, if we go beyond this uh, very high-profile case, what are some of the most creative scams you've come across uh, to date? Well, there's a few quite common ones. Um, the one that you will probably hear most often today is a robocall pretending to be Amazon Prime. And, you know, a lot of people have signed up for Amazon. And this type of call might seem believable, particularly if you know, you're maybe expecting such a call, or you've ordered something from Amazon. But the, you know, they will vary their scam Um the one that I think is probably most creative is they will send a lot of emails pretending that you've placed an order for maybe a television set or something. And you will get the email and the email will simply give details of an order and you know that you didn't place that order, yet it's arrived in your inbox. And the only thing that really is in that email is a phone number. But of course, if you call that phone number, the person on the end of the phone will will explain to you that the reason why someone has placed that order and you're getting the order confirmation is that you've been hacked and they will start the same old tech support scam using that route. So they, they can be in quite inventive that way. They will. There's variants of what is essentially the same scam. Now, there's, there's a few other ones as well. And that one, I think, although it's maybe not the most clever, that they keep inventing new ways of running the same scam. The, the one that I would say there was the most troubling, I suppose, is the refund scam. So what what happens is if a scamming organization get hold of a list of people who have already been scammed, so someone has already got a list of you know names, addresses, phone numbers of people who have already paid out possibly hundreds or even thousands of dollars, they are a sucker's list. They will deliberately target that group because they're most likely to fall for a different sort of scam again. And they will usually do the refund scam. So if someone has paid for technical support and even doesn't even realize they've been scammed, another group will use that list and they will say, oh, we're going out of business. We're going to refund what you paid to us. And all you need to do is give us remote access again and we'll arrange this. But of course, as soon as they get that remote access, they will get the victim to log into their bank account. They will distract them usually and pretend they've paid in maybe they promise something like three hundred dollars they will edit the screen so it looks as if they paid in more than that maybe three thousand dollars and then they'll turn around to the victim saying oh look we've paid you too much you're gonna have to give us that money back and in fact all they've done is just edit the screen to make it look as if they paid something in they've paid nothing in and if the victim just looks at the screen and doesn't realize that it's a sleight of hand it's a trick then they might be tempted to pay these people back. And they usually ask for gift cards instead of a, a bank transfer because the gift card to them is a much easier way of laundering money. So you'll tend to find that these, we call them refund scammers, will want gift cards and they can immediately trans transfer that gift card number into hard cash at their side. It's quite easy for them to do that. 
So on the flip side, what are some of the dumbest scams you've come across? Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few. I would say every scam tends to be quite similar. They obviously want money, but I would say it's not the scam itself which is dumb. It's the scammers because it's very easy to take them off their script. So when these scammers get trained up, they will they run a very set script, and if if you take them off that at all they tend to flounder. So, you know, you can easily wind up these scammers. Uh, they will usually ask the same questions. They'll want to stick to their script. And I've been able to use not my own voice, but little snippets of recordings. So I've used, for example, Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice. Okay, so there's websites where if you press a little button, he will say, hasta la vista, baby. All, all that sort of stuff that he would typically say. And I have had a 15-minute conversation with a scammer using only Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice. They are just so determined to get money out of you, they will not catch on that they're actually speaking to some sort of robot. So this is future me during the podcast editing, and this is the section where I asked Jim about this one time he came across a scammer that was trying to convince him that he was connecting to the Interpol and FBI database where the scammer was activating a Hawkeye to kill all enemy vehicles. And if you think I've gone totally insane and crazy, let me play you a short clip so you know what I'm talking about and what Jim is referring to, and I'll link the video in the show notes as well. Now, you can see secure content protect. That is a digital and the security authorization needed from United States of America. Can you see out there on your in front of your screen now? Yes. Now you can see, I have just showed you recently your IP address, but you can see there is an IP address of killer IP address 205211157.84. And can you see connecting to CIA internal database? And there is an IP trash, which we have found and which we triangulating it. So according to the security circumstance and according to activating the Hawkeye, where we can engage all the enemy vehicles. Can you see? Activating enemy Hawk, vehicles? Engage. What are you that talking about? The, the hacker where belongs to a security uh, department. And we have found something which I need to show you. Can you see out there? Interpol database. Yes, I can, can read. You see out there, there are pictures. And it says he lives in, in Gotham City, which is where Batman lives. Isn't that right? Yes, exactly, sir. But let me tell Batman's you, Batman's a fictional character. Oh yeah. So uh, scammers will do anything to try to appear convincing, and if they have access to your computer, they can browse a website, which. All the website does is it, it makes it look as if you've got like hackers. So it's it's actually a little animation more than anything else. And this particular scammer decided to use that particular website to try and convince me that I had some problem. I mean, they not only will use those sort of websites, but they'll invent very elaborate stories as to why you should give them money. And I even had one that was trying to convince me that that I was going to help in some sort of like investigation of criminals. And I was the one who was supposed to help in this. I was the key person who could help in this investigation. And what they really wanted me to do was buy all of this story. But the reason why they wanted to involve me was they were saying that the person who they suspected of doing all this criminal work worked in a bank. And what I was supposed to do was go into that bank, withdraw a large amount of cash, 
but not tell, you know, I would be monitored, of course, that I would withdraw this cash, but I would then move it to another bank account. And they were going to monitor all of this. So that was my job as part of this investigation was to move money out of my account into another one. And of course, all that really does was getting me to move money when I shouldn't have done. So they will invent really very creative stories about why that's a good idea. And if you don't have your wits about you, you could well fall for that sort of scam. We've touched upon this topic uh, a little bit, but maybe you can give us some more insights into the philosophy or mindset of scammers and what makes them take advantage of often helpless and innocent victims and what types of skills, if you will, they have to have in order to achieve success. Yeah, well, I mean, the skills is one word. I mean, they have to kind of park their conscience uh, at the door before they go into their office because they will be speaking to very vulnerable people and they really cannot have a conscience when they do their work because there, there's no way that, I mean, I've listened to quite a lot of their phone calls and quite literally I was nearly on the verge of tears listening to them. You know, it just, you have to have a certain mindset, I think, to be in that job. But the skills that they need, I would say, well, obviously a good command of English helps. Okay, that's a given. If someone can't understand them, they're not going to make a lot of money. So language skills, particularly in English, are not in shortage in India. So that's one thing. They've got of language skills. But the probably the more important one is being convincing, being persuasive. And the way that they can do that is they will talk gently and persuasively to elderly people. They will charm elderly people, particularly, you know, if, if it's a man talking to an elderly woman, for example, he will always use lines like, oh, you sound just like my grandmother. Oh, you sound much younger than you, you know, they might tell, say their age and so on. You sound much younger than that. Oh, lovely. That's lovely. You're 91 and you still drive. That's a lovely thing, okay? <laughs> That's lovely, all right? I've never expected somebody like at the age of 90 will be driving a car, all right? They will use all of the lines that they can to appear as if they're genuinely trying to help this person. So interpersonal scam skills are really high up on that list. And I'm certain sure that the most successful scammers will be the ones who will effectively charm their victims. You need to have that as a skill set. If you're rude to someone, they're going to hang up to you. If if you're gentle with them, if you can persuade them that something's going on, you're going to make a lot more money. So as I say, if you can park your conscience at the door and butter people up, you're going to make the money. So I guess that having good social skills pays off in almost any job. Oh, for 100%. Yeah. I mean, I could I could show you recordings where quite literally they, they will use similar lines whenever they're trying to refund someone. They'll say, look, we're going to get this done really easily. And at the end of it, you might, I'm going to send you a bunch of flowers or, you know, you're going to buy me some chocolate, that sort of stuff. You know, it's, it's the real soft skills that make them better scammers. That's sad to say, but that is one of the big skills they need. Now, fraud itself has been around for as long as humans existed. But if we go deeper, and here's my question, in what ways has scamming evolved over the years? What types of trends or changes have you seen over the years? I remember back in the days in the 2000s, it was mainly viruses, malware. Now it's ransomware, botnets, rental scams on Craigslist, or corona scams, uh, and so much more. So it seems that scammers are essentially also entrepreneurs and 
have been innovating and diversifying their scam portfolio as well. Can you kind of elaborate on that as well? Um, Yes, definitely. They have evolved for sure. And one of the things I've seen, which is definitely something new, is the advent of scareware. So software which runs on a computer and its sole reason for being there is to put scary messages in front of a person who runs it. And although, for example, there may not be anything wrong at all with your computer, scareware will deliberately mislead you to say that your computer has got a problem. And they will do that purely to generate money. And there's plenty of examples of this. And if you do a Google search for the word PCVARK, V-A-R-K, PCVARK, there's a whole suite of software there which that company designs to scare people into buying the product. And they will not only, you know, they will push this software through very dodgy adverts. So their adverts online will suggest to you that you have got a virus when you don't. And when you download the software, it will always report some sort of problem. And even if you have some sort of query, the software itself will have a phone number emblazoned all over the software as well. And that will route you through to a scam call center who will continue that sort of scam. They will convince you that you've also got a problem because they're in cahoots with that software company. So the the figure of that $1.8 million per month, that came from one of these scareware manufacturers. So that is something new. I haven't seen that until fairly recently, but it's an, a fairly unpleasant change to you know the, the robocalls and the pyramid schemes and everything else. Software-based scams are definitely on the rise. And do you think that development or evolution comes from the fact that we as consumers are embracing more and more online services, technology that makes our life more convenient? Or where do you think this development comes from? Well, I think it's the fact that computers are ubiquitous now. They're in every single home. And, you know, people generally just surf the internet. And if you can get enough of those scary adverts in front of people's faces, you are going to make more money. And even if you do an internet search, so say you have a problem maybe with your printer or even in it something non-technical, and if you do a Google search, a Bing search or whatever, and you're looking for someone to speak to about this problem that you have, if you aren't very careful that you're through to the right support desk, you may end up speaking to a scammer. And even quite recently, I did a search for, you know, the navigation devices, TomTom and Garmin. If you happen to type the right thing into Google, you will not get the genuine TomTom or Garmin Garmin website. You will get someone else and they may have uh, an internet address, a URL, which looks like the Garmin, proper Garmin website, but it isn't. And unless you're very tuned in, the person on the end of that phone will answer it as if they are the genuine article. And once again, just because you've seen a result high up on a search engine, it doesn't mean you're speaking to the right people. You have to research it. And that is definitely an increase. The people, the people who run those sort of scams know how to get their website results quite high up on Google's 
search engine. It's called an SEO scam or a, a black hat. If you you have to be very careful about which websites even Google returns. So that's one of the increasing scams. It's called black hat SEO. And say if you don't look carefully at who you're getting through to, you may well be speaking to a scammer. Yeah, that seems pretty sophisticated. So have you come across what is called a BEC or business email compromise, which is a type of a scam targeting companies who essentially conduct wire transfers or have suppliers abroad. So the scammer would pose as a CEO, as a company or any executive, and then send them an email to an employee, say in finance, requesting them to transfer money to the account that they control. Have you come across that yet? It's also called whale fishing. So they will target people at the very top of the organization and they will make it look as if they're some other person that maybe they've researched within the organization and they will try to persuade the person at the top to release funds or to change bank accounts or whatever. But it's the key thing is it's a very targeted attack. They will, I mean, what happens is they will do a bit of reconnaissance on the business. They will understand who maybe some of the key people are and they will basically pretend to be one of the top management team. And chances are, if they get some sort of edict from one person in the organization, it may not even be questioned because if they use the right language, if they use something which appears convincing, then you could fall for that scam. And it tends to be that if something comes down from what looks like the boss of the company, like to change bank accounts, someone may not question that and will just do that. So yes, there's definitely that sort of scam. And is this done by people that are much more sophisticated and skilled? I would suggest more sophisticated, I would say, than the scammers that I would see. That sort of scam requires a fair bit of analysis. It requires a bit of research on the company. And probably the the people who run those sort of scams will know what works and what doesn't work. So they have experience in there. So yes, they tend to be more sophisticated than the ones that I would go after who, if you take them off their script, they really flounder. I would say it's probably a more intelligent bunch of people and they probably make more money out of it. Uh, There is another sort of scam as well, which is another unpleasant new scam. And it's an email-based scam. And what happens is someone will email you your real password. So it's, or maybe not your current password, but maybe a password that looks familiar to you. And they'll, they'll surround it in a lot of text. And the text will be something along the lines of, here's your password, it's whatever it is. And then there will be another paragraph below that saying, I have been able to get access to your computer. That's how I've got this password. I've got all of your contacts. I've been able to switch on your webcam and I've caught you in some sort of compromising position. And they'll usually wrap it up with some maybe pornographic reference or something. And then they will demand money and they will say, if you don't pay such and such amount of Bitcoin to this Bitcoin wallet, then I'm going to send this footage from your webcam to all of your contacts because yes, I've got your contact details as well. And a lot of people have emailed me saying, hang on, this is my real password. Maybe this person really does have this sort of footage. What should I do? And in fact, this whole thing is a scam as well, because what's all that has happened is that maybe a third party website has been compromised. So you may have registered that password on, you know, something like Yahoo or LinkedIn or something which has had a data breach 
and these scammers have got hold of thousands of email addresses and passwords and they've sent everybody on that list the same email with their real password and they will then hold them to ransom. But in fact, the whole thing is a scam. They don't have any webcam footage. They don't have anything like that. But unfortunately, a lot of people, when they just see that password, they might be convinced that someone has broken into their computer and that's where the passwords come from, when in fact, it's just a general data breach. And the advice there is, if it does look like a password, particularly if it's one you currently use, change that password on any website where you've used it. And the the real reason why this is so convincing is obviously it's a real password, but the thing that the, we every, everybody advises everyone to do is have a different password for every single website. Because unfortunately, those sort of data breaches where passwords get published is inevitable. It will happen from time to time. And you leave yourself very vulnerable if you use that password over and over and over again on different websites, because that means that someone genuinely could log into your account just because you keep reusing it. Yeah, and I think that tip alone can't be overstated. Don't use the same password for every single website. You know, so don't use my password for every website, which is monkey123. So I, for instance, have a separate password for each website and a separate email for each account. But it's funny that you mentioned that email because I've received that exact email multiple times and just delete it because I know my webcam's secure, at least it has a a protection over it. And don't be lazy and use the same password over and over again. Well, we're all human. You know, it's it's the easiest thing if you... There are certain passwords which I remember very easily. Other ones I can't possibly. And yeah, it's just, you know, we unfortunately, even in this day and age, it is difficult to remember passwords. So, you know, I rely on a bit of password manager software. So effectively, I only have to remember one password. And the bit of software that I use tells me and will generate good, strong passwords. And I will use those in various websites. But it means I only have to remember one password. But obviously, that's not the password I would use on any other site. And then obviously activate the second factor authentication. So something that you know, which is your password and something that you have as a hardware key, so to speak, I think that is also something most people should have activated by default. That's right. Yeah, it, it's even, yeah, that's right. That's the single biggest defense against any data leak is even if someone does know your password, you have that second factor pinned to your mobile and that will defend against anyone actually taking over your account. Yeah, it's definitely more inconvenient, uh, and we humans tend to love convenience, uh, but it adds uh, a much added or needed layer of security. So do you have some more tips or recommendations how someone can better protect themselves against scammers or being scammed? Yeah, I think um, being a skeptic is probably the single best thing you can be. Um, Just because someone phones you up, whether or not you're expecting it, I would always, I, for any inbound call, phone call that I ever get, I assume it's a scam unless the person can convince me otherwise. And that usually keeps you in good stead, even if it's your bank phoning you to say that there's maybe something unusual and you know, if they ask you, for example, well, hold on, we need to identify who you are. If they are making a call to me, I usually challenge them to say, well, how do I know who you say you are? 
And if you do that, a genuine organization should give you enough information that they can convince you that they're genuine. So they should be able to quote, for example, at least part of your customer number. But I would ask for a number of things. Well, you know, anybody who is a legitimate caller should have no problem telling you this is how you know that we are genuine okay they will have some information on their systems which should be able to persuade you if they can't do that then hang up the phone call and if you're still unsure whether it was a genuine call or not you make the outbound call to that organization and just ask you know why am I getting this phone call? Who would this be? And they should be able to help. So I think be sceptical, I think, is the kind of key thing here. It's always a good idea to be sceptical. You're far less likely to be a victim of a scam if you don't take things at face value, question things. That's what banks do or, or just general organizations. They'll ask you, okay, name the last three digit of your visa card or what's what's your birthday? Where do you live? And, you know, basically just do the same with the scammers, you know, challenge them on something. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like to start by understanding a business and then kind of dissecting their business model. And if we do that kind of for the scammers... What are some of the like key partners, key resources, and maybe even the cost structure that they have and where do they get their revenues? Maybe we can kind of break down for the listeners. Sure. Yeah. So been quite successful. At, I mean, I the reason why I put a lot of videos onto YouTube is that structure of these scam organizations fascinates me almost as much as the scams themselves. How do they go about running these things? And obviously there's bits and pieces which are technical. So, you know, they'll set up the robocall software. How do they get <clears throat> even though you might be phoning a number in the USA or UK, still the call ends up in India. How does all of that work? So that, that's one part. That's the technical part. And that's fairly straightforward. But there are certain things which are needed by scammers if they're going to take in money. And the most obvious one is a payment gateway. So ultimately, they need to get money from a credit or debit card or as a check or from a bank account number. And there's only really a few places where they can do that. And those things are called payment gateways. And there are, if you want to run a, a scam organization, you need to be able to take in those checks. You need to be able to process credit and debit cards and say that's where your payment gateways come in. And that really is the weak point typically of these scams. If you can figure out who it is that they use for these payment gateways, and of course, all companies will use these, including scammers. And what I usually try to do whenever I actually do get access to scammers' computers is work out who those payment gateways are. Because if you can go to them with evidence that one of their customers is scamming people, they not only will take down those payment gateways, but there is the potential to refund the people who have been scammed as well. So that's the bit that I go for. So there's a number of layers to the organization. They need the buildings and infrastructure. They need their phone calls, they need the computers. That's one end. But as I say, it's the, it's the money processing bit, which is really key. And as I say, that is the weak point. And of course, not only will they process those payments, Ultimately, they will have their own company bank accounts. They're run very professionally as they would. They look no different to any other business. They need their own bank accounts. They need their own salary scheme. They'll have their own bonus schemes and everything else. But they will look no different 
to any other organization. Well, it depends on their size. I mean, maybe there's very small scam companies where if you pay in dollars, it will go straight into the scammer's pockets, but they tend to be quite rare. Normally, scam organizations are very much organized as a normal business would be. Proper bank accounts, proper payment gateways, proper payment processing. Yeah, and scamming is just like any other business. They re rely on resources. And it's quite interesting that you identified one of their key resources and took that out, which is basically their payment gateway. So even if they would switch, say, customer segments, uh, if we put it in, in business jargon, then they couldn't do anything because their revenue stream is gone because they rely on the payment gateway to generate or, or transfer those revenue streams. So I found that quite interesting that you identified the weakest link and took that out. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, if there's, I mean, there's both inbound and outbound calls. The robocalls are obviously outbound from the scammers. There's not a lot you can do with that. But if the scammer is relying on calls back, so maybe the robocall will be dial this number if you want your refund or press one if you want to re get a refund. If you can work out what those phone numbers are, you can, or I have done in the past, absolutely flood those phone numbers so that there's no way real victims could get through to this number, even if they tried. And there, I don't know how legal this is. I, I, you know, I may be risking a little bit here, but uh, if you know a genuine scam number, uh, one of the most effective ways of taking that out is to do that call flooding. And there are services which... Um, people who are against scammers, they, they will operate, which will flood those numbers and realistically take them out of action. And that is one of the most costly things that a scam organization will see. If you can tie up their phone lines so that their agents who they have to pay anyway aren't talking to real people, then they are losing money. And as I say, I've, they will often have to change the phone numbers as a result of that flooding. And again, if you can figure out what the next phone number is and flood it again, you can actually take an entire call center out that way. And I've, I've even got a, a video where we've done just that. We know it's a scam call center. We have very strong evidence that these people are scamming and the call flooding actually gets them to shut down. Yeah, and I would assume that the call center agents would be the largest uh, cost for them and the payment gateway, VoIP software, etc. Uh, are probably insignificant uh, in terms of cost. It's their, I would say, after the payment gateways, you know, the call flooding or keeping phone numbers out of action will inevitably be their next big cost. Yeah, I find that very fascinating uh, on how they basically try to innovate on the same scam over and over again and just how they use their business model very creatively to continue to innovate. Uh, and I'm obviously not condoning that you go out and get skills to scam people, but I, I do find the, the whole business model behind the scammers pretty fascinating, uh, I must admit. Yeah, I mean, I have a slight sneaking admiration sometimes for the variants of the various scams. They can be, you know, quite inventive for creating new types of scams based on old ideas. But that's, I keep on my YouTube channel, I could make every video look the same because they do tend to, to stick to scripts. 
but there will be ones who will do things differently. And even recently, for example, instead of making phone calls, what these scammers were doing was running an online chat service. So sometimes if you browse to a certain website, in the bottom right corner, there'll be a little window saying, do you want to chat to an agent here about something you have trouble with? And that's what they were doing. They were running their scam that way and they were pretending to be whatever support number it was. And instead of getting a phone call, they were getting people typing that, yes, I've got a problem. They were giving reasonably convincing answers over the text chat. But ultimately, they would say, oh, that sounds like something we're going to need to call you about. And that's the way they would start their scam. Their point of vulnerability was their phone numbers again and this text chat. So we immediately we immediately tried to get the people who ran those sort of chats scripts to be made aware of this and what happened there was the vendors who run those sort of scams they shut off their access immediately it's it's something that they actually purchased in advance so they lost money because of that as well which is great but reporting it to the right person actually took their entire scam out of action so what do you recommend people do if they want to help in the fight against scammers Well, it's actually quite easy. Um, You don't have to be in the least bit technical. You don't have to do or go as far as what I do. The best thing that you can do, if you have the time at all, is keep them on the phone. Because if they're not scamming, if they're not speaking to you, they're scamming your parents, grandparents, other people. And simply wasting their time is always a very good thing to do. There's people who are really creative about it. There's other people on YouTube like Kitboga, Pierogi. There's a number of people who will actually make a very entertaining evening just keeping people on the phone. They'll even pretend to be different characters. These people even have things like voice changers. And it can be a very it can be a very worthwhile pastime, shall we say, just keeping them on the phone. So say you don't need to be in the least bit technical. The normal advice though is if you do get scam phone calls, you know, hang up immediately. But I say if you do have the time, please keep them on the phone, waste their time, pretend that you've got somebody at your front door, you know, keep them on the line as long as you can. And say it doesn't need much effort if you have the time to do that. Yeah, that's that's a really good recommendation. Just waste their time. And I can definitely uh, recommend the YouTube channel Kit Boga. And he has a pretty elaborate setup where he actually has a, a fake uh, Chrome plugin where he redeems Google Play Store card codes, but they're false and it looks real. And the scammers just go apeshit because they, they see their money just going through their hands and they just they go absolutely apeshit, cuss them out and say, oh, I didn't tell you to do that, you idiot. Um, so well worth a watch. Yeah, um, I'm in touch with Kit Boger. We're going to do some sort of link up between us as well. We're very different styles because I tend to go after scammers and find out who they are. He keeps them amused for hours and hours. It's very entertaining. So if people want to support your work and this good cause, how do you want them to, to do that? Well, I mean, I say just by the videos on YouTube are free. So just look for my name, Jim Browning, and you'll find a lot of videos about these. That's the easiest way you can support me. Just look at the look at the content that I've got on YouTube. If you if you want to go further and you really want to support me in what I do, uh, I do have a Patreon channel. So if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Jim Browning, there is a way that you can support me in what I do. And I say I try to fight against scammers. That's one way that you can support me directly. But as I say, even if you don't want to spend any money, 
on that. Just watch the YouTube videos and in you know by you viewing those that actually gives me revenue anyway. So you can do this for nothing at all. Um, maybe watch the advert at the start, but you know um, if you don't want to spend any money, that's the easy way to do it. Yeah, and I'll be sure to include all the links in the show notes uh, so people can watch the YouTube channel, support you if they want to, uh, and so on. Is there something that I didn't touch on or forgot to ask you that I should have mentioned? I don't think so. I mean, other than I think if if you do watch the YouTube channel, you will be more aware of how those scams work. I really do take them apart. And the only thing I would say is a lot of people who watch YouTube tend to be fairly tech savvy. But the people who probably most need to be aware of those scams are maybe not the people that I can reach. So you're more you know, elderly people or older relatives or whatever. If you can spread the word about those scams, if, if those older people know what to look for, know what to listen for, it will help them from being scammed. So I say if you can spread the news about these scams as much as you can, it will help prevent them. All right. So that wraps up this interview. Definitely very fascinating to know more about the scammers, their business model, how they operate, and how we can beat them. So thank you for being on the podcast, Jim, and taking the time out of your busy schedule. No problem. Thanks. Now we've reached the end of this episode, and this is generally where I try to summarize the interview and give you some additional insights. Now, fraud itself has been around for millennia. As long as we humans existed, we've been scamming ourselves. But I believe the first recorded instance comes from 300 BC in Greece when shipping merchants changed the world by attempting to con the insurer of a shipload of valuable goods and then sinking them but claiming the loss anyway. Or in the 1920s where we saw the first Ponzi scheme in form of a investment scam carried out by Charles Ponzi, which takes its name today. Or the identity and check fraud which was very prevalent in the 1900s. One famous example of that was Frank Abagnale Jr. who had over eight identities, including an airline pilot, a physician, and a lawyer. And this story was made famous by the movie Catch Me If You Can. One thing to always keep in mind is that scamming is like any other business, except for the fact that it's illegal and that these scamming organizations innovate and change their business model according to new trends or changes in their environment like we see now with the corona scam emails. Scammers have a very strong incentive as it's financially very lucrative to scam people out of their money and have no qualms about targeting old, innocent, and often helpless people, say, for instance, grandparents that have dementia, like we've heard in the interview. So always be on the lookout. So here are some tips to better protect yourself and are generally considered best security practices. Most of these tips are or should be well known already, but let me iterate some of them here. First one is use and enforce strong password practices with at least 16 characters, use at least one number, uppercase letter, lowercase letters, special characters and symbols, don't use names of your family, friends, pets in your password, just to name a few. And if you find that too cumbersome, just use a very respected password manager such as LastPass, which I personally use, but there's also uh, password managers like 1Password Dashlane and refrain from using dodgy or suspicious ones. And KeePass is also a very good alternative, which happens to be open source as well. 
And if your account has it, enable two-factor authentication on all your accounts. And Authy, a little program that has apps for mobile and desktop, can help you consolidate these into one single app, sync them across all devices, and create a backup of these two-factor authentication codes. And if you want to go a step further, like I do, ideally use a hardware two-factor authentication key such as YubiKey, a very well-respected Swedish company that provides this in form of a hardware key. And then also, as Jim mentioned, challenge the callers that are requesting any kind of personal information with security questions of your own. Like ask them, what are the last three digit of my account number? They should be able to answer that. And most importantly, be skeptical, as Jim mentioned in the interview, along with just using common sense. If something sounds too good to be true, like getting an unexpected refund, then it almost always is. Now, most of these recommendations might not be new to you, but maybe to your grandparents who are not as tech savvy as you are. So feel free to share this podcast episode or some of Jim's YouTube videos, which are very educational, with your grandparents because awareness is key. But by far, the most important thing to remember is what a famous scam baiter called Jim Browning once said, which is, But all of this goes to prove you can have all the security in the world, but if you pick on the wrong person, you might just end up having your scam ruined. And in plain English, that means don't with Jim or any person with vastly superior IT skills. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more where that came from. Just head to our podcast website, innovationalcorrectness.com or gammabeyond.com, or just follow us on LinkedIn. There you will also find long-form articles, videos, and other podcast episodes about innovation and transformation. And if I could ask you for one small favor, it would be this. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Overcast, or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps us out by encouraging more people to find our podcast and reach hard-to-get guests. Last but not least, if you have any suggestions, for further episodes or guests that we should invite on our podcast or just have feedback, you have three options. Emailing us at info at gammabeyond.com, filling out our anonymous feedback form at innovationalcorrectness.com, or leaving us a voice message with your question or feedback so that it can be included in the podcast and all listeners can profit. Just go to innovationalcorrectness.com. Links are in the show notes. I've been your host, David Luna. Until next time.